Welcome to Career Pod, brought to you by Transition Solutions. Your host for this episode is our founder and CEO, Mr. Fred Studley. In this episode, Fred talks with Harlan Chun. He's a global marketing and market development executive who spent most of his career in the consumer product space. Harlan talks about his observations on the skills and traits a person should possess to be successful in a global marketing role. He shares a recollection of his early life when he and his family left China and came to the United States. He enrolled in school and chose Spanish as his foreign language component of his curriculum. This ironically came in very handy early in his marketing career. They also discussed the various organizational issues involved in a global role, especially a market development role where you're going into new countries to set up a business. They talk about the interaction between corporate headquarters, wherever it may be in the world, regional jobs in marketing and market development, and country-based jobs. Finally, he shares his insights on the role language plays in managing and making a global business successful. It's a very interesting conversation about marketing and, more importantly, market development. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, listeners to CareerPod, and welcome to our guest today, Harlan Chun. Harlan, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here, Fred. Okay. Well, let's start in the beginning, Harlan. Uh, if you look at your early life and education, uh, how did that period uh, kind of influence your career choice and direction? Well, I uh, actually went to a, a very prestigious boarding school um, in uh, Massachusetts, and um, that was about a year after I, my family immigrated to the United States. And I remember um, the school, when I was uh, entering um, the first year, they said, uh, what foreign language are you going to take? And I said, what are you kidding me? I can hardly speak English. <laughs> so, um, but as it turned out, I uh, chose Spanish, and I ended up loving uh, my Spanish uh, course, and I loved my uh, professor, and I ended up uh, going abroad um, uh, on school programs, uh, both at the prep school as well as subsequently in college. And um, uh, then years later, um, I uh, worked for a company called Reebok. And because of my um, uh, language ability, um, I ended up with the Latin American department. Uh, and um, ironically, a, a Chinese uh, who could hardly speak English but some Spanish ended up uh, years later to uh, be the head of uh, Latin America for Reebok. Well, that's great. Oh, I was... I thought that was kind of a, um, a good uh, uh, intro to my uh, work life because right. of my uh, uh, schooling experience. Yeah. Now, you know, it speaks a lot of people that we've uh, talked to have, have really gone into some depth about the value of summer work, internships, and particularly uh, of note over the last couple of decades, those semester abroads uh, that both add maturity but also some exposure that can start filling up that resume uh, for that first job and second job. So that's good. Uh, if you look at your, uh, you know, career, what what kind of uh, experiences or credentials are really typically required to just to enter that uh, field? What, what do you think is most valuable? Well, I remember my uh, uh, the, the, my first boss. Um, I really consider this guy um, my mentor. He's an XP&G guy, and he has his own uh, business uh, distributing American products throughout Asia. 
And um, uh, he told me, um, he said, young man, let me tell you something. In business, um, it's all about common sense, um, good reasoning, and your ability to deal with people. If you can have those three, then the rest of the things uh, like accounting, advertising, marketing, sales, they can all be uh, taught and you can learn. So um, I, I thought that was a, that's something that uh, always stuck with me. Uh, good common sense, good reasoning, and ability to, to uh, work with people. Well, that, that's, and we've all been around people that were lacking in that, uh, and uh, we, we saw the, the sky tissue that was created. So that, that's good advice. Uh, how about the skills themselves and experiences, if you look at your, your uh, early on jobs, in terms of how did you gain information, gain uh, experience uh, early on? Yeah, so I really thought that um, I really went to a, a small liberal arts college in Western Mass, and I loved the school. But when I look, at, look back at my experience, I really thought what I learned from my college experience, it's uh, really how to prepare in a time pressure environment and um, uh, also how do you write, how do you communicate yourself um, in writing as well as uh, verbally. And I thought that those were really important things that helped me set up in life. So um, at work later, um, I really felt like um, uh, it is important um, that you really listen to people, um, especially uh, early in life. You know nothing about business uh, or you go to a, a foreign market. You know nothing about the local customs and culture and the, the market dynamics. You really have to train yourself to think um, and process information that people are telling you in those markets. So, and not going there and saying, oh, I'm from corporate headquarters. I know everything, uh, the one-size-fit-all uh, type of mentality. That doesn't work. So I, I think it's really important that you tell yourself um, it's a learning journey. You must listen uh, before you talk. Okay, listening skills key. And also, m most of us are really concerned about speaking first. Uh, you know, we want to be inside out you know, this is what I think the solution is, versus outside in, either listening to customers or co-workers or getting data or inputs from a, a variety of places before you spout the solution. So even, uh, how about the, you know, the most challenging and most rewarding uh, parts of your early career? The most rewarding is really um, uh, the ability to be, be able to meet with people uh, from different cultures, um, they really add to your um, add to you um, because of uh, uh, the different life experiences and upbringing. And in corporate life, especially if you uh, um, deal with international markets, that is one of the I would say most rewarding uh, experiences that, that that you could have is the ability to to be able to interface with people of different culture. Um, as far as challenges, it's, I think it's um, uh, a lot of times you feel like you really want to do something to help uh, the cost or the company, um, but you really don't have all the necessary skill sets to be able to um, um, understand and bring about a, a solution. And, and yet, as uh, 
when we're young, we want to go out and really uh, help make a difference immediately. And sometimes the uh, the most logical um, solution may not be the, the most logical solution because uh, uh, if it was that easy, it would have been done, right? So, um, again, I would say that uh, it's probably in the early days, uh, you really wanted to help, but I, I think that you wanted to make yourself uh, listen and uh, observe and digest before you um, actually proactively go out and offer solutions. Yeah, and, and that's that's called patience, I guess. And uh, we have so much energy early on in our career, and we have to kind of modulate that and put a governor on it sometimes. But Absolutely. having having you know mentors uh, can help in that because you can observe and listen and you know have that uh, advantage now have you had mentors throughout your career yes i i i'm really very fortunate uh, and and i think in uh, uh, in a career uh, one always needs mentors uh, regardless of whether uh, your mentors are inside the company or outside the company it's always a, a good practice to go and talk to um, someone who uh, uh, now in later life you call that your personal board someone who's um, who's um, really in a position to help you um, and articulate a different perspective and have a, a bigger picture someone who's uh, seasoned and experienced and be able to uh, um, give you guidance without any kind of a um, uh, self-serving agenda. Hmm. Um, so in my case, I was really uh, very fortunate that um, um, I had such a, a mentor um, to, who helped me navigate and helped help me learn about business or helped me uh, really navigate in an organization that may be difficult. And I think in a uh, big corporations, especially um, matrix organization nowadays is, is very common. So a lot of d direct reporting lines are not that obvious. And also in multi-cultural, multi-location um, uh, offices when you have to deal with, um, it, it really um, serves well if you have someone who's able to help you, give you the ins and outs about how to navigate the um, uh, the corporate setting. Uh, some might say politics. Uh, politics is not a bad thing some, sometimes uh, because you have to know the personalities and the dynamics, how relationship works. Um, and every company has politics, and I think it's important that you actually um, uh, grab onto someone who's willing to to give you those uh, give you that roadmap how to navigate. Yeah, and, and if I could insert a thought here, it is the the formal organization that typically is in an organization chat, and as yet we both have experienced the informal organization that the mentor can help you out in terms of who are the go-to people for certain issues and who are the influences uh, beyond their their you know defined authority. They really are people that can move the the, the process along. Now, uh, the, you've worked in a number of different countries, uh, working, you know, a, a across the globe. Uh, just in brief, when you're a home, uh, you're, you know, either a home country manager or a person responsible for a region, uh, what is the basics of that role? You always serve your constituents. So 
if I'm uh, representing Latin America, it doesn't matter whether you are the biggest region or the smallest region in a corporate setting. You have to speak up. You have to vocalize the region's perspective and represent them well. It's no different than a parliament and no different than a Congress. You are representing um, uh, all the hardworking people who, uh, and you know um, you have this, uh, knowledge of uh, the market dynamics and, and what works, what, uh, what um, doesn't work. So it's really important, whether it's in a global meeting, could be a global marketing meeting or global product uh, briefing uh, sessions, when everyone comes in and talks about the kind of products that works, don't work, and uh, or I, I work for a, a, a sports and fashion company, so um, the, the designer take uh, 18 months to develop uh, uh, new products. Uh, it's um, I, I know it's very difficult to say you know that doesn't work in my market, but if you don't say anything to represent your region's uh, interest then you are not serving justice to, to your job. But you have to do it without an agenda. You don't want to hurt people, but you're really trying to, uh, the company is trying to pay you to represent um, your, uh, your region's uh, interests. Okay. So I, I, I would say that's uh, one guiding principle that, that you must have. The, the company pays you well in a certain job. A lot of times um, you may end up... Um, uh, hurting people for the things that you say, but make sure you're doing it without an agenda, without any personal agenda, and that your genuine desire is simply to uh, represent uh, what, the, comp uh, what uh, the company wants you to do. That can represent part of the frustration in the job, too. Uh, what general frustrations do you have to juggle when you're uh, so long removed from the, the corporate center and and just in general, what kind of frustrations have you had in your career? Uh, well, you know, the, t the typical um, uh, complaints that uh, ge um, regional managers of different geography typically would have is, oh, corporate headquarters doesn't understand us, right? right. So I've been a regional manager and I've been a country manager. Uh, the funny thing is that the regional manager, um, they always say, oh, this country always... Uh, believe that they are special, that they don't want to hop on a bandwagon, and they don't want to think um, uh, holistically what's good for the company, what's for the region. And, and the country manager would always say to, uh, would have a point of view that, oh, it's easy for the regional manager to come in and try to uh, preach the corporate message, uh, but they don't really understand what's going on in our market, right? So, so those are the dynamics that go on between. A regional manager and a country manager, and same way that goes on between a regional manager and corporate uh, uh, headquarter folks. So I, I love one of my former bosses, who who was a CEO of the company, used to come in and say, "I know that you guys uh, um, love to have me visit you, but you're even happier when I'm gone." Well, <laughs> in, in some extent, that's uh, that that's true, right? So because you don't want uh, corporate folks, the regional folk, to be spending so much time in your market that they, they get in your hair and, and not give you the autonomy. And vice versa, when you're a regional manager, you say, oh, those country folks are always trying to hide things from me. You know, so <laughs> funny dynamics. Huh, For sure. Now, how about uh, 
let's dive in a little bit deeper in terms of the, the country or regional manager role. What kind of cultural issues do you deal with on a regular basis uh, in, in either one of those roles? In uh, corporate meetings or in global meetings, um, what I find is that uh, there is a, um, a tremendous uh, self-awareness um, of accent or inability to express well in English that actually prevent um, um, uh, some foreign uh, managers from speaking up in a global meeting. Um, so, and this is particularly true with uh, uh, executives from East Asia, uh, like uh, Japan, Korea, and China. Um, they're very, very sensitive to the fact that they have an accent, uh, or maybe uh, I'm not able to articulate well in English, and therefore um, they have a tendency to be much more silent in a corporate meeting than uh, other countries. So, uh, and uh, uh, in contrast, I, I know that my uh, ex-colleagues from France and uh, Australia, from India, the UK, they never have any problem. They don't worry about, okay, um, what accent they have. Yes, the Brits actually do have an accent. Australians also have an accent. A lot of times I also have to ask them several times, what did you say, right? right. So, but, um, but that kind of um, dynamic does happen in a corporate setting. So um, as a leader of a meeting, I would always urge them in the spirit of facilitating to, to get the maximal output out of every country, every executive in the meeting, to even uh, uh, pick on a couple of the, the silent managers. Right. Uh, maybe give them a, uh, a heads up ahead of time that I will be calling on you because I do value your your perspective, and I do value uh, mm. what you bring to the table. Now, that's why you're at the table, right? That's a good point, both for the leader when we have these uh, cross-cultural meetings, but also uh, for the participants of, and it doesn't have to be because of your uh, ethnicity or your speech. Let's just blow it up to an introvert. Uh, people draw a conclusion from a person who's not active in a meeting. And the conclusion is the person can't add value or they uh, aren't assertive enough or whatever. And in, in those cases, that might be a wrongful uh, interpretation. Uh, so it's in everybody's best interest, the participant, the leader, to uh, either put more in writing so the thoughts are conveyed uh, fully, more fully in writing, uh, or the uh, the obvious glorious PowerPoint presentation, uh, or as you're suggesting, uh, you know, at some level of pain, articulating uh, and getting those points on the table. So, well, Fred, that's, that's exactly right. What you, what you pointed out is uh, write down those few points. That's also exactly what I did also. Whether in, in a corporate uh, a meeting, whether I'm trying to uh, uh, express myself in English, which is... Uh, uh, also my second language, or in the uh, in, uh, Latin American meeting when I'm trying to express and communicate in Spanish, I would always write down, jot down a few uh, bullet points so that as I'm talking, I, I would follow the script and uh, reminding myself what I'm trying to say because sometimes you're so dwelling on how you express yourself in a foreign language that you, you tend to forget what's, what yeah. the message. 
want to get across, right? So Now, are you fluent enough that you think in your foreign languages, or you actually have to go through a couple steps? I'm thinking it in English, and now I've got to transfer those thoughts into a different language, or are you at a level of fluency where you can actually think and talk in the same language at the same time? Yeah, in English, I am able to, to do that. But in Spanish, I definitely have to think in English first yeah. and, um, uh, and before I could uh, express myself. Right. Uh, I remember when I first went abroad, I went abroad to one semester to Mexico. I was so confused trying to, to translate what I know to Spanish, sometimes I end up speaking Chinese. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, my mind was all confused. Okay. Uh, and, and not only were you confused, the people who were trying to listen in Spanish were probably <laughs> confused, too. Uh, right. How about uh, when you were your task with developing new markets in foreign countries, what, what works best when you've got a product or service and you're trying to enter a different market or, or develop it, certainly? Uh, any, you know, panaceas or, or gold standard, you know, one or two things that you, you make sure you try to do? company that wants to enter a foreign market, that company must have something that's, uh, that is its core competence, its core strengths or core products. You have to understand what are the core products, what are the core strengths that you're trying to introduce to uh, and, and launch in that market. And then you have to uh, really understand why is it that your, pro uh, your company's products did not um, land in this market earlier. So why some distributors did not come to your market, come to your company and ask to launch your products earlier? There must be reasons. So I think as a, uh, as a, uh, a marketer, you always need to understand and, and strike a balance of, uh, between what's um, really good about what your company does and can offer, whether it's in services or in products, and also what is the uh, market really needs and how can your company really uh, accommodate um, and or adapt uh, or even create in order to, um, uh, to suit that market. So I, I think uh, that is one of the, the key um, uh, learning lessons that I had to, in all these years of trying to uh, launch products in, in new markets. Um, I also tend to um, compare uh, markets of similar, similar culture, similar um, GDP, uh, similar uh, development uh, in, in market development. Uh, overall, we were launching um, uh, products in Indonesia that the market that was closest to um, the Indonesian market situation was not any other country in Asia, but in fact was in Latin America. So we actually um, brought some of the best practices as well as um, we even brought a Latin American manager to come and speak to the Indonesia uh, team um, to share uh, with the team what has worked well in his developing market and how he went about launching it. So I think that would be another, uh, let's say, um, valuable lessons that we've learned that, that it worked. Um, um, and then finally, I would say that um, um, 
to launch in a new market, you need to always um, set um, the right expectations at the headquarters or in the regional office so that um, you are not setting such high expectations that you're expected to deliver uh, um, return on your investment in a period of time that you're not able to, to deliver. I would say that's probably one of my um, uh, key learning lessons when I try to launch um, a, one of my company's products in China because everyone has expectation of how big the, uh, the Chinese market is, and it is huge. But it takes time. Yeah. It takes investment, good people, um, uh, creating the right structure, creating the right process, um, and also coming up with the right products for that market. So uh, when you follow those processes, they, you are going to succeed. But it's a matter of how much time it's going to uh, take for you to, to, uh, uh, to land your products. So, yeah, uh, it, it, it strikes me that you, you deal with kind of cultural realities, and sometimes they match stereotypes. I mean, the U.S. marketeers are classically impatient. The Chinese, by reputation and what you're kind of saying, there's a level of patience in, in long-term planning and, and expectations versus the U.S., habitually is, you know, managing quarter to quarter. Uh, you, you see that in, in uh, your, your, your everyday life? Oh, yes. I still remember. Uh, I dealt with a very uh, close German customer. This is in the late 1980s. I was a young uh, export manager for an American company. And he used to, to reprimand me saying, Holland, um, we Germans think in terms of five years. The Japanese, they think 10 years. You think in terms of quarters <laughs> in America. And uh, in, in many ways, it's true, um, especially if um, those of uh, us who work for a listed company, we have a certain uh, um, um, timeline uh, that uh, investors expect. And uh, whether you've done a, a good job in the past or you've done a a not so good job in the past. Investors are expecting uh, have uh, expectations. So I think that uh, as listed company in America, um, you you are uh, uh, expected to uh, deliver according to um, what uh, investors uh, communities uh, is expecting. And I think that uh, a lot of times create a lot of uh, let's say tension. Um, uh, when I was working in a regional, when I was working in markets that are emerging market, is uh, um, there's a certain expectation of timeline, or how can you accelerate it to uh, um, to generate the return on investment for right. for the company? Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's helpful. Uh, how about uh, if you hadn't got into this field, uh, what might you have done? Uh, when I was going to college, I was a, a bartender at a at a local inn for, for three summers, um, uh, as well as working in the, in the local boys' club. So I always enjoyed uh, the hospitality industry, always enjoyed working with people, um, and uh, I always loved staying in nice hotels. So um, I remember when I was a young man, probably not even 25, uh, uh, someone offered me, this is a friend's, uh, 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 their 
The family owns a, a six-star hospitality a chain of hotels around the world, and they had offered me a, a job being a general manager of a, uh, a, a marina uh, country club um, and that, w- that worked like a hotel. I always look back and say, what if I had accepted? <laughs> <laughs> My yeah. life would have been very different, right? So, For sure. How yeah, about you it, always have those crossroads. Look, look at those uh, pathways not taken. How about advice if a person was looking to get into uh, a job or that you know had global reach that had a person working you know between different in companies, different environments, different countries, regions? Uh, what's the best pathway for that? And we obviously deal with fluency issues, uh, but any any suggestions you'd make for that person? I always believe that uh, I would. Uh, never hire anyone who did not work, live, um, uh, or, or study overseas. Um, it doesn't matter what nationality you are, um, but it is important that you've had, I mean, there are a lot of, uh, let's say, Asian Americans today who were born in America or Indian Americans. Um, but it, So it really doesn't matter what nationality you, or what, what race or religion um, that, that, that you are, but I think it is important that you're exposed to um, the, uh, the cultural nuances of having lived uh, uh, overseas. I always urge people to um, try to take a semester abroad uh, or live overseas. Um, it doesn't matter. I had uh, friends who, college friends who actually went to Europe to play hockey. And came back and decided, okay, yes, they're going to go to law school or business school, whatever. But the fact that you've been overseas, you know that uh, um, life overseas, especially if you don't speak the language, is a little less comfortable. And you have to get out of your comfort zone. And I think that all of us have an obligation to get out of your, our comfort zone uh, in order to, to really uh, explore and, um, and seek this learning journey. Well, that's good. Good advice. Uh, how about uh, if if you look at the role of luck, good luck, bad luck? Any any luck in your career? I, I would say timing is probably a, a more appropriate word. I, I think everything has to do with timing, and um, uh, so you have to make create opportunities, even if the timing is not uh, good. The timing is never right. You can never say, um, okay, this is a good time to, to be moved to Brazil or, um, and, and once the assignment is finished and three years later, that an exact opportunity would arise in, in Holland or in Spain. It never works like that. Right. There's always some kind of a transition period. And then the, those of us who are kids, you also cannot just go whenever the company asks you to go because you want your... Uh, your kids to finish uh, elementary school or high school in a certain country where they they've begun. So those timings never work out, but you can always try to work out some kind of a compromises in order to look at your long term, what's good for you long term. So I would say that not as much as luck, perhaps it's always timing, always trying to make some compromises to look at what's good for you for the long term. Okay, that's good advice. 
Yeah. Uh, lastly, Highland, how about uh, a little bit more lighthearted? Uh, and I and I looked at some of the pre-interview, you know, notes you sent me, uh, and you've had some lighthearted uh, moments where you know a lot of things revolving around language and misunderstandings and misstatements have taken place. Can you give me? One example that uh, will will leave us with a smile. Yeah, so um, I went from uh, running Latin America to uh, to um, going to Japan to do a turnaround for the company, and uh, you know, you know, the, the the folks in Latin America very casual, always like to banter each other, and 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 uh, every night I used to leave the office and and. Uh, my marketers and, and sales folks would, were outside. I would be saying, "Hey, what have you done for for the company today?" And uh, so we were banking. It's ah, come on, uh, it's, uh, you know, what about all that business I brought in yesterday? So this goes on and on and uh, and uh, bantering each other and badgering each other. And uh, so when I went to Japan, I remember um, I was the uh, president of the, uh, the the Japanese subsidiary, and. Um, Right outside my office uh, was uh, the sales manager's uh, uh, workstation. So I remember that the first day, it could be the first or second day after work as I was leaving the office, and, you know, Japanese notoriously always stay late in the office. So so uh, he was still there in his workstation. I went by and said, hey, Suzuki-san, what, what have you done for the company today to earn your paycheck? Oh, he went into a frenzy, looking up every single order that he could that he got in the last three days, and uh, his desk was a total mess. But he was able to pull out all these orders, and he was uh, sweating and uh, trying to think. Chotamate, chotamate. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to get you more. I learned from that day on never make a joke uh, anymore with Suzuki-san about uh, his orders because. <laughs> He probably had a heart attack that night when he went home. So. <laughs> all right. Well, you have to know your audience in all cases. So, well, this has been a pleasure talking to you, Highland. I, I think people listening to this have, have gained a lot of insight in, in terms of how small the world is getting and how close we have to deal with each other cross-culturally and the special challenges that are represented. So thank you very much for the time, and I'm sure our listeners will enjoy this. Thank you very much, Highland. Thank you, Fred. Bye-bye.